0: And I said, guys, this is not just a ski This isn't just a place 300,000 plus people come to recreate. This is home to 600 employees. This is where people have met their wives and started their families. And it's much more than that. And
1: In the first days of September, 2021, John Rice, general manager of Sierra at was leveraging every relationship he had to determine the state of his resort as the Caldor wildfire burned through it. Caldor is only the second wildfire in history to burn from one side of the Sierra Nevada mountain range to the other. Over a period of 69 days, it burned over 220,000 acres, destroyed over 1,000 structures, and prompted the evacuation of more than 50,000 area residents. John Rice was among those evacuated from the South Lake Tahoe region. In the second part of this two-part special, we pick up the conversation between John and Sam Magazine's publisher, Olivia Rowan, editor, Dave Meeker, and senior editor, Katie Britton, as he recounts desperately trying to get back and assess the damage to Sierra.
0: I would call my higher patrol buddy who would meet me at the the road there and he would take me down and that's how we got up to the resort (laughs) for the days after. But uh, relationships were key people that were still there while they're changing the guard, there were still the same law enforcement folks and the same local fire officials and forest service officials were around. So, you know, can't say enough about just building trust with those folks ahead of any kind of emergency. Sounds
2: like it was a key relationship. And so your roads are blocked off. You can't really get to the resort, although there's some, you know, limited access and you're trying to figure out what's happened. And, you know I, I know we were eager for news right we watched the flames on the usfs cameras and we were trying to reach out to you we were talking to um cal fire on their you know communication lines and i guess for you the initial reports coming out of them uh out from sierra and people in the area were that it wasn't that bad right, right? like sierra came through the fire and it wasn't right. that bad and it just how did that sort of news cycle complicate your sort of recovery efforts in the aftermath
0: the media was way too kind to us leading into the fire they were here again media relationships built trust with these folks they know who we are they know we're media friendly we're going to give them the good news and the bad news the the story before the fire was what are you doing to prepare and a little you know they want a little bit of drama and You know, stand there and look out and look like you're concerned and, okay, I'll put my concerned look on. But but they were very fair to us to a fault.
1: Most of the images the media shared told a story of survival. Chairlifts still standing, fan guns spraying unscathed buildings, and the only structure lost was the maintenance building. Sierra survived was splashed across headlines and the public was relieved. But that wasn't the real story there was $5 million of burnt equipment inside that maintenance building. And the extent of the damage to the lifts and the trees was beyond imagination.
0: And not until we actually got on the ground the week or so after the fire did we start to really understand kind of what we're up against. And frankly, we didn't quite understand what had happened. And we brought in, um, we started with, you know, getting some help with some wire rope folks and getting some, uh, some folks from Doppelmayr and some other lift companies and engineers and and state lift inspectors to come in and poke around. And then we started to realize the damage to the lift infrastructure. The terminals all did fine, bottom and top terminals, except for one of our carpets that was completely toasted that we had to pull out. But the terminals were okay. But the fire, in some cases, it came in and it ran on the ground and then across the ski trails and then got to the tree canopy and their side went up. And where it was really hot in the tree canopy leading to the cable from from the west, you could see where the flames had affected the comm cables, the communication cables were gone and you could see where the wire rope had been compromised, where the polypropylene uh, core on some of the ropes had actually oozed out of the rope. And so what happens there is you've got a certain diameter rope and when that fails, then the diameter of the rope gets smaller. And of course it renders it not usable from an engineering perspective. We didn't have any ropes break or we didn't have, we actually took some samples and did some metallurgical evaluations and checked the tensile strength based on the heating and the scarring. And it was more that the cores had melted out was the problem. So five of our nine lifts, um, had significant rope damage and including our Two of our high speed quads, two of our lifts, nothing, just fired them up, but they were great. Com cables, everything were fine. Several lost com cables. What we didn't really estimate uh, damage wise was the damage to the forest. And we started to understand about hazard trees. I mean, we've always, uh, every resort takes down hazard trees every year. And, you know, but um, fire damaged, fire weakened trees is a whole different deal. And so uh, we have a very old, growth forest here and populated by a lot of red firs and and red firs are not red woods where they can take 10 or 12 fires and you can go look back in you know years ago there's the fire no they get one <laughs> they get one fire and they and some of these trees are 100 200 feet tall they're not small little pines and so they're majestic beautiful trees it's a big part of kind of what we're all about as we were driving around the first few days, going around the mountain, kind of inspecting the damage, trees were falling in front and behind us. And these are, you know, they're widowmakers. They're, you, you, trees fall on you, that's not good. So we started to go, oh my God, we got a bigger problem we thought. So we brought in um, some folks in Forest Service. We brought in the BEAR team, which is the Burned Area Emergency Response Team. We brought in some arborists to help us understand and the more we saw, the more we realized uh, we've got significant challenges ahead. And we had several trees over the next few days come down on chairs and had, like, for example, one of our main lifts had five deropements first week, you know, five times where trees hit it and deroped the cable. So, John, that-
3: what was that like when you when you arrive back and you kind of think, huh, may, maybe we escaped the worst of it and then that slow every day maybe you're seeing is it you know at what point did you hit that the fire was
0: still actively burning for weeks after it wasn't like it didn't come back and it's just black it was still there's still flames there's still stumps i mean there's still fire today okay this fire will not be officially out probably till february uh you can't see active flames last friday we had one we called it in but there's a lot of underground smoldering going on like a punk in the logs and that. And that'll happen for a while, even, even after the snow, we'll see some of that, but there were still very active, um, flames, cigars, they call them where a tree will top out and a flame will kind of shoot almost like a Roman candle. And you'll see in these standing kind of candles around. Um, we had, quite a few areas where it was more concentrated than others. There are sections of the mountain where the trees look healthy. There's sections of the mountain where the trees look like slightly, slightly yellowed. Not, if you look at the canopy, you'll see green, you'll see those areas. And we're told those are considered what they call standing dead trees, which means they're just a matter of time before they're gone. And, you know, you hope nature will, be strong and come back. And, but um, once the cambium layers are affected in the trees, uh, they're pretty much on their way out. So we're learning a lot about all that. Um, We had to get to work on understanding it. We had a couple of drones were flown over to, to get a sense of the canopy and, you know, about 80% of the entire footprint of the resort was affected by the fire. So if you you just take a pie and cut 20% out of it, and that's, That's unaffected and the rest was affected. So um, we're about 2,000 acres here. The fire is 200,000 acres. So we're just a small little footprint in this larger fire. But um, the significant damage in in the circumference of the resort and the surrounding areas, about 287 residences were destroyed. So the the initial media reports, oh, unscathed. No, there's... There's chimneys and, you know, remnants of cabins all around us. A lot of them were Forest Service cabins, but there were some private residences as well. And so a lot of damage that we didn't know about until, and of course, all the news was chasing the fire because it could hit Heavenly and Kirkwood now. It was interesting watching the number of people on the fire. They, They elevated it at one point to the top fire in the nation. That helps them get resources. Once it came through Sierra, it almost doubled. The number of people on the fire. They got up to where they had over 5,000 people working on fire. And I, I believe strongly they did not want to have another ski area uh, be affected. And it was heading to heavenly. They were, you know, talking with Tom Fortune over there. <clears throat> they were doing all of their same stuff, preparing, turning on their snowmaking systems, getting everything in play and, and ready to. But the resource count was much higher by the time it got through us and got into the Tahoe mason.
3: Tell me what the reaction, you know, um, in some of the help that you got, And um, you know, we heard the stories of Boreal and squaw, uh, mammoth stepping up.
0: The word got out when our wire rope inspector and our lift inspector came through our state lift inspector. And then he would go to other resorts and go, Oh yeah, they got roasted. You know, he would tell the truth and here's some pictures. And, and you could see where a couple of chair lifts had been hit by trees and the Chairs are on the ground and the cables, you know, damaged. And uh, it didn't take long. We got, uh, I got a call from an old buddy, Cliff Mann, down at Mammoth, who I'd been on a couple of Doppelmeyer tours to Europe with him. And uh, he just said, What do you need? We're here. Whatever you need, 100%. We've got a, a boneyard full of stuff. Uh, you just let us know. And then Jimmy King called me from South States, Tahoe, and said, Hey, um, I heard what happened. I want to help you. What can I do? And he came down and took a tour and I think was stunned what he saw and went back and talked to um, the management team there and said, we're here for whatever you guys need. We'd like to, we'd like to just fix one of your chairs for you. You know, we'd like to do it all for you. So he brought a crew down. There's at one time there were 16 of them here. They were here for about a week. Um, Mammoth loaned us a cable that they had in the parking lot because trying to source supply chain issues of you know finding parts in Austria and, and Switzerland right now, as you guys know, is not a simple thing. Nope. They had a cable that would work for one of our lifts, short stuff. Uh, Mammoth drove it up on a low boy and dropped it in our parking lot. We got a crane to get it up there and, and uh, the, the team from Palisades, of which a couple of were ex-employees of Sierra, was kind of cool. And they brought lunch and they were like, we got this and spent four or five days and got the rope back on, the new rope back on. And and we all along were clearing trees on either side of where they were working. So there were no uh, you know, issues of hazard trees hitting them while they're working. Uh, trying to source communication cable, same thing. All of the companies are like, yeah, we don't have it. It comes from China or it comes from Japan. We can't get it. It's on a boat somewhere in Long Beach Harbor, that kind of stuff. Uh, Boreal offered, you know, through relationships, we've got some extra, uh, we'll, we'll give it to you, we'll loan it to you, whatever. The response has been unbelievable from, it just reminds us why we work in this business, the, uh, the brotherhood of our closest competitors going, whatever you need, we're here for you. And so I can't say enough about that and it doesn't end. I, I was on the phone with uh, Vale Resorts, all three resorts around the lake the other day. And what can we do to help you? They're going to help us with a traveling team. So our athletes that are kind of getting in the narrow part of the funnel and getting them better on their game. I don't want them to be affected by this. And they're going to allow us to bring traveling teams to their resorts and allow us to train our teams at their resorts. So pretty incredible uh, offers. I I got a call from Bristol mountain. Hey, we've got a rope. I don't know if it'll fit, but we're not going to use it this year. It's just incredible.
1: Support for Sierra was far-reaching, from local resorts around the Tahoe Basin to Crystal Mountain, Michigan to the Fairbank Group in New England, which owns and operates Jiminy Peak in Massachusetts, Cranmore Mountain Resort in New Hampshire, and Bromley Mountain in Vermont.
0: Brian Fairbank left me a beautiful message about if there's anything we can do, I know we're far away, but we're here for you. And, and, and that level of support, I can't say enough about, is the beauty of what our industry is and the people uh when somebody's down everybody's there to help so you know i mentioned to one of the guys with the with the palisades crew i said why are you guys doing this and he said if this happened to us would you be there for us i said in 10 seconds and he said that's why we're here so
3: it's been been a source of pride i think for all of us through through the pandemic the you know lack of competitiveness and all coming together and and this is just another example of that so
2: that's like a a real bright spot um, I have to ask though what's the the mental toll been in all of this because it looks like there's a, a lot of work ahead of you and sierra yeah.
0: i you know i try to keep my sense of humor which i'm sure annoys some people around here but on the you know i liken it to the 12 step program and you get through anger denial grief and And you get up to, you know, I think level six is alcohol, I think. Uh, And then you get past it and you get past all that. And it's like you start believing what it can be. And then you forget, you know, I've been driving up here for 20 plus years and you come around the corner and you're just driving into work and you're not thinking about it. And all of a sudden you see it and you just go, oh, my God, it happened. It really happened. You kind of forget, you know. And but over time, you start to get to where, okay I'm accepting what happened. I, I, you know I've gone back in my mind several times what could we have done differently how how much more could I have jumped up and down with my wildfire plan and said please stage at Sierra yeah what more could I have done who could I have influenced I can't I can't say that I could have done any more than I did I mean I talked to everybody I could talk to I leveraged every relationship I had um everyone was sick when they saw it happen I mean people in the fire, they didn't want this to happen. You know, the first time we collected all of our local fire folks and sat in the room and I brought some insurance people. I brought a couple of the owners and we sat in the room, like, what are we going to do about this? And uh, it was only a week after the fire. And, you know, the head of the forest service uh, was there. And, and I said, guys, this is not just a ski This isn't just a place 300,000 plus people come to recreate. This is home to 600 employees this is where people have met their wives and started their families and it's much more than that and and um so i went around the room i said there's like 15 people in the room and a lot of them were from the forest service and i said just i want to understand what you guys know or don't know about our resort and i said so introduce yourself tell us what you do and then tell us if you know anything about the resort and so the first person goes well i grew up skiing here and i'm you know i work in in forest fuels and with the forest and and uh, I love this place and I th- I, this is really hard for me to even be sitting here right now.
1: As they went around the room, John realized he was in good company. All but one person had a history with Sierra at Tahoe and all knew how special ski areas can be to people and their communities.
0: So you guys know <laughs> what we're talking about, right? And they're like, yeah, we, we understand. So that gave me some hope, you know, that the people we were working with to start to talk about what are we gonna do about what happened, what's the restoration plan, where do we start? Uh, knowing that people had a relationship with the resort was, was powerful and still today, I think that's an important piece as we change the narrative from this morning, we had an ideas, ideation session with our teams. So we went from 600 employees down to 50. That was a tough deal. A lot of people mm-hmm. were planning on working here this year. We had an outplacement, through HR, where we check on every single employee, did you find another job? And in this job market, as you guys know, everyone's looking for employees. Uh, I I believe we have a good reputation of hiring good people. And so I've gotten calls from every skier in Tahoe, we'll take any of your employees and we'll send them back to you. I've gotten calls from the hospital, we'll take your ski patrollers, every hospitality, restaurant, you name it, security, We'll take your employees. So, the good news is a lot of our employees have found other employment, uh, but you don't know if they're going to come back. They may find a new world. A lot of them got better jobs and new titles, so good on them. Um, but the people that are left behind, this morning we turned the dialogue and said, let's just get flip charts and let's say, what can this place be? What, what could it be in the future? How can it, it might just ski better. So, how can we do that? How can we make it better in the base area, in the tubing? in the, you know, in the services we offer, the employee side of it. And we just brainstormed for about an hour and there's like got a hundred ideas. So we're going to keep developing those ideas. I really want to keep people's focus on what can this resort be? Because underneath this burnt landscape is a ski resort just waiting to come out of the ashes and be great again. It's going to look different. It's going to feel different, but it just might be better. So that's uh, it. it you go through all those emotions up and down for me, uh, you know, I've been in this business 44 years. I, I thought COVID was the biggest challenge I'd ever have to face. I mean, that was like unbelievable. And we made it through Got to the other side. We were celebrating it, We had a great year. we were going to go into this year and just knock it out of the park. And I, no one told me, uh, you know, catastrophic wildfire <laughs> was next on uh, what was going to happen. But, um, outreach is support and and keeping our employees focused. What's hard right now, I've got the guys in the upper shop don't have a shop. And so they've changed the name of the site now to the outer shop. Instead of the upper shop, it's the outer shop. So they're working out of, uh, you know, storage containers and doing their best and trying to get their tool kits back repopulated through fundraisers. But the attitude is positive. Um, We're trying to uh, just keep everyone's spirit and will and resilience high. Uh, Adaptability is something I preach a lot, have my whole life. That's something I learned through John Wooden's teaching. And I had to face myself in the mirror and say, you need to adapt uh, because you've been talking about this for a long time.
3: We had you, you know, lead the lead the conversation as a mentor in the summit series on problem solving. So, yeah. um, who who knew the the problems <laughs> that were ahead of you oh, were going to be quite quite this big? Mm-hmm. So, um, if anybody could have taken it on, um, you had definitely the the expertise and, uh, unfortunately, the experience. You know that you've been through some of these major events before. And um, if if you were to have advice to operators listening to this and heading into next season and the threat of wildfires only increasing. Um, what would you say to them right
0: now? Well, there's a lot of discussion like this won't be the last fire that touches the Iscaria, whether it, it's, it runs through the edges or underneath the lift or whether it, it, it hits like it did with us with a bullseye. I, I think with the condition of the forest fuels and the, um, you know, opportunities for a fire to get out of control like that. I mean, I, I hope that our firefighting technologies will start to embrace using technology and using different, employing different methods uh, as opposed to doing what we've been doing for 20, 30 years. I hope, I hope fire science gets a little smarter about all this, but, you know, what's really important communication, obviously, I said uh, relationship building with those agencies is really important. So, you know, um, bringing people in ahead of time to show them what you've got in terms of resources. What I found on this fire, the challenge there is you you could meet, a lot of resorts do this. They meet with their local forest service and they meet with their fire people and they show them everything and where the utility switches are and how to turn the generator on. And then the fire hits and the crew that's in charge is from Montana. And they're like, they they don't know anything about your resort. So maybe some very simple how-to NSA did a, uh, at their fall series, they had a little session, Tim Hendrickson led it. And there were some really good ideas that came out uh, that were thrown up on the wall of, hey, here's some things to think about that some other resorts had that, you know, would have been helpful to know going into it. But one of them was to have those schematics and have those things to hand to somebody that's coming in that doesn't have any familiarity with your resort. And they can know uh, and, and key phone numbers and that kind of stuff. You know, here's another thing. Our power was out. Our, our power got turned on like last week. It's been out since the fire, since days before the fire till just now. Phones were out. Cell phones weren't working. All things you rely on weren't there. You know, we, we had we ran our generators for months. And then we had to fuel the generators. And to get fuel to a generator where you have to drive through an active fire, with trees falling, I mean, things you don't even think about, you know? So um, a lot of those things, our main power feed coming in was completely destroyed because it terminated at the shop. So the guys were operating in the dark and without power. PG&E, who is our power provider in California, was looking for a place to stage. So after the fire, we offered our parking lots as a place where they could come in and stage. And they brought in not only tons of equipment, helicopters, masticators, they brought all the stuff in to fix the power lines all the way down the canyon to Grizzly Fats where it started. And uh, they had a lot of resources that they brought in that were very helpful for us. And uh, we charged them a very negligible negligible amount of money, but to have them here, they had generators, they had food, they had security to keep people out. Looky-loos wanted to come in with their cell phones and drive around, nope. Uh, the forest is closed. They provide 24-hour security. It's still still down there, and a, a big, you know, burden off of our shoulders of not having to worry about dealing with media and looky loos that are just looking for a you know, a selfie with with a fire behind them or whatever. Um, curious folks. The other thing I'll say is managing your communications, making sure that uh, the media folks are. That we're talking to have the right story and and you can't steer the narrative as you know but you can crisis communications training i can't emphasize enough i think most resorts have done that we were very fortunate in that um someone who had worked for booth creek prior uh, her name was jess van pernis had also worked for gunny and, and their crew uh, had gone on and started her own firm in oregon she called me and she said look, um, can I be there? Can I help? Uh, I will do it for free. I know you're in a tough spot. She knew every single one of the media people on a first name basis. She helped tremendously keep this thing in a good place and talking to people about why they couldn't come up, um, telling them who could come up and when and, uh, helping us write press releases and that kind of stuff was just powerful. So, uh, she did want a hat. It cost me a hat. So, uh, she got a flat-brimmed hat out of it. But anyway, um, again, just the beauty of our industry and people wanting to help. And crisis communications, it, it never quite happens like it's supposed to. And, again, we didn't expect after we thought maybe we were okay and other than the shop. And then when we realized the extent of the damage, we had nothing to hide. We've been transparent through this whole thing. There was a good article in the, in the Chronicle last week we spent a day working on with the forest service before the, um, before the journalists came up talking through like, who's going to answer this question and, and what words should we use and how should we, you know, we, we're going to be open and honest. Well, the, he brought up a photographer who was immediately snapping pictures of dead trees and stuff. And I asked the guy, said, have you ever been here before? He goes, yeah, this is my home resort. I'm a pass holder. He goes, I'm, I'm in tears right now. My daughter's going to be so bummed out. This is where we come. I just, I can't even believe this. And and I was able to appeal to them. Well, look, can we, you know, love to balance the story of destruction with what it can be in the future and the resilience and the rebuild and the reforestation? And he was like, "Gotcha." So, uh, crisis communication, building relationships with media, working with them on the right stories, uh, not letting social media take a left turn on you because uh, that can happen pretty fast managing our own employees. We had several of our employees on social media becoming the experts. Like I know, cause I talked to a guy who talked to somebody and I heard there's, you know, the whole resort's been screwed forever and they're going to close and sell and, you know, managing our own people like, Hey, come on, you guys, here's the facts. So sending out information and in the cadence of information uh, that's appropriate and proper not trying to fill gaps with what you don't know, being honest about what you don't know. We we still don't know in West Bowl uh, the total damage to our lifts because we're still cutting hazard trees down there. I can't put people on the towers until I know the tree's not going to fall onto the tower. So those kind of things um, are, are really important as well.
2: So internal communication is equally as important as external communication.
0: Absolutely. So we're trying to make sure that the images we send out are fair and honest, but but not like the worst of the worst. And someone working on the fire took their phone and turned it on, driving up our road and was showing it and posted it on Facebook. And it went viral. And it's like, here's what really happened. Sierra's not telling us the truth. And that caused a little firestorm with our season pass holders. And it's like, we got scathed. We, you know, we, we know we got scathed. We now have to figure out how we're going to tell that story in an honest way. Uh, what our company did with our pass holders, I, I'm really proud of. They, they basically said, "Look, if you want to hang on to your pass, we're going to try to get open sometime this winter, and you can use it then, and you can use it next winter as well. So it's like a you get a year and a half out of the deal. If we don't open, you get it. We'll also give you a $50 rebate, and you can either take that in the form of a check, or you could push it forward into a fund that we're going to use to help our employees uh, stay whole that were affected by this, and then." And if you don't like that option, you can get a full refund. And what's interesting is um, more than 50% of the people are keeping their pass. They're also um, more than 50% are pushing that $50 forward. And we're actually getting apologies from people who are asking for a refund. Like, I'm so sorry. I really need the money. Some were affected by the fire and need the money or had to pay rents or whatever. And, but I'll be back. You know, you did the right thing by me. I'll be back. And, you get one chance to do that right. And the company I work for did that right. And then the other thing they did, we, you know, we had to let go of some people for now and some of them been with us 15, 20 years. And that really, that was the hardest thing for me. Uh, We gave severance, that's a bad word, but we gave them a check of a couple, anywhere from three to six weeks of pay to go get a bridge to finding another job or, you know, getting unemployment or whatever the case may be. And, that was super well-received. I mean, people left in tears, but I'll be back, you know? So um, I think we we did it right. We managed the employee side of it right. We've also really turned the uh, the juice up on our employee relations. We, we have some things we do every year. Like every year, if we go all summer without an injury, we give turkeys to everyone on payroll. We just gave the turkey certificates out the other day. We're having a, uh, an awards dinner celebrating all the great things that happened during covid tomorrow night at a brewery in town so we're really keeping the employee relations stuff up uh, so they're connected and not feeling like it's game over because it's not we'll be back
2: there are a lot of um that's awesome really hard sounding uh, truths to confront right <laughs> in terms of pass holders and employees and the actual just physical damage at the resort. And I guess, uh, you know, you mentioned that that balance and the optimism you have for the future. And so I guess just looking forward, what are you excited about?
0: What I love today was the people that I can see it on their faces, like, God, my resort, it's looking different every day. We've had Sawyers here that are taking hazard trees away from the lifts. And so the landscape is changing daily. When you come in, it's not what it used to look like. Um, I can see it on their faces, but what I saw today in those ideation sessions, people are going, I've always thought it would be a great idea if we cut those one trees, we can do that now. We can have this new run, it's gonna save congestion. It's gonna stop you know the, the collisions there. And gosh, I've always thought we should put a snowmaking pond over here. So watching the energy come out of these people and what it can be is, uh, is amazing. And trying to infuse that not falsely, I want it to be real, but every idea is a good one. And then we'll start to sift them into what we actually can and can't do. Uh, but the fact shows me that they want to be part of this because, you know, here's the reality, the people that are here, the 50 people left behind They're working at a winter construction site now. They're not working at a ski area, right? They can't put on their skis and go take a run. And that's a reality. So, you know, I asked um, the other resorts if they could help us out and we'll have a ski day. Every resort has said, absolutely, bring them them up and we'll have a Sierra day and we'll buy you lunch and you can all go skiing. And so I'm going to want to make sure they stay connected to the sport they love. Um, I think of all of our employees right now, only one of them doesn't ski. And that's an important thing. A lot of them bought passes at other resorts already in anticipation of this, but they have families that ski too. A lot of them work here because their kids want passes and, and they love skiing. And so, you know, we're not gonna be able to do that here until probably midwinter is what we're thinking. Um, early spring, if all things go right, um, it, it's out of our hands a little bit. What's within our control. We're, we're crushing it. Like, If the parts are available or somebody's got something in the boneyard we can use, man, we're, we're doing it. Uh, supply chain things. I can't do anything about, you know, getting a new wire rope from Austria or Japan just takes time. So, um, those kind of things that we can't control. Uh, those are challenges, trying to get some support from the agencies that we work with to help us with the remediation. There's a lot of, a lot of work that needs to be done in front of us before we can open. And, um, Pulling every lever, uh, working with California tourism, we got an economic economic impact report being done with the county and the state of California. So I can tell the story. I can get my elevator story together when we go out and start asking for help, because uh, you know it's a multi million dollar rebuild, uh, just just with the trails and the trees network as well. So yeah. I need some help.
3: Well, we will be rooting for you for sure. Somebody asked
0: me. When are you done? When are you going to retire? And I said, if it, when it stops being fun. <laughs> <laughs> it has definitely not been fun.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah, the
2: universe is trying everything it can to make it not fun between a pandemic mm. and a wildfire, right?
0: And the fire metaphor is like when the smoke clears, or, you know, I, I'm not going to use mm. any of those. There's weight. We got some wood to cut here. Forget it. <laughs> I'll just say this much. I, I'm, you know, I want to help this place get back on its feet. I want to help it rise from the ashes like the Phoenix. And we just made some sweatshirts that are fun. Calder restoration team with the Phoenix on it, our logo. I'm going to give it to the crews from Palisades that came and helped us rebuild and Mammoth and, and our guys. And, you know, in the spirit of rebuild, rebirth, regrowth, reforestation, that's where I want to see that energy go. I've got the support of this community, support of the ski industry partners like you guys in uh That's what's keeping my flame lit right now.
1: Sierra will return. What it will look like, they aren't sure yet, but according to Rice, the vibes the resort is known for will remain a strong part of the new experience. If you would like to support the Sierra team and this podcast, subscribe or renew your subscription to Sam Magazine by the end of January, 2022, and 10% of proceeds will go to the employees of Sierra Atajo Calder Fire Relief Fund. Head to www.saminfo.com and click subscribe. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSAM advisor is Alex Kaufman. I am Sarah Bordeev and thank you for tuning in to PodSAM.